Our scripture reading this morning is just two verses from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 16 and 17. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words. It's found in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this part of your word in our hearts and in our minds that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who reigns together with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, I feel like we're saying goodbye to a good friend this morning. Uh, we've been uh, some time with John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18 and this morning we conclude our series, a series that we kind of backed into. Uh, you may recall that last fall I preached a few sermons on the doctrine of the Trinity and that led us to consider John 1, 1 to 18 and having considered the last verse in this section, uh, I decided to preach our way through the whole thing. And so we come to verses 16 and 17, uh, which isn't the last verse, but it's the last sermon, which is kind of weird because we preach the first, last verse first. But I guess the last shall be first and the first shall be last, something like that. But I will mention verse 18 in conclusion, so that's, uh, that's fitting. Uh, in these 18 verses, before John really starts the presentation of the gospel, he introduces us to the Christ, to the Messiah. He wants us to meet him so that as he speaks of him uh, in the rest of the gospel, we'll know something of who he is. And of course, uh, at the beginning of this series, we started in the beginning. And in the beginning, we met the word who was not only with God, but who was God. He was the agent of creation. He was the light and the life. And then the Apostle John uh, takes a little side road to tell us about John the witness, who was not the true light. But he came to bear witness to the true light. The true light uh, was coming into the world and giving light to everyone. And in spite of the fact that this true light comes into the world and, and makes light available for everyone, not everyone responds in the same way. Uh, some reject him. Some receive him. But in spite of their response, he remains who he is, the Word, who became, who, who became flesh and who dwelt among us, the Word whose glory we have seen, and it's a glory that is full of grace and truth. And then John takes us on another little side track to tell us a little bit more about the witness. And then in our verses 16 and 17, he begins by going back and making an additional comment on verse 14, before the parenthesis. And then after that, he makes an explanatory comment. So the focus of these two verses 
is, is a bit different than everything up to this point. Up to this point, John has been speaking in the third person. He's been talking about the Word. He's been talking about the Christ. He's been talking about the light. He's been talking about John the Baptist. He's been talking about the various kinds of people who respond in various ways to who the Christ is. But now he shifts and he's not in the third person anymore. He's in the first person. He says, we. He's talking now to us about what our response is going to be to meeting the Word, the Christ, the light. He's talking to us about receiving the grace that we have sung so freely of this morning. So in verse 16, as I say, he makes an additional comment to what he's already told us. He, in other words, he picks up where he left off at the end of verse 14 before that little excursion with regard to John the witness. And then in verse 17, he explains, he makes an explanatory comment so that we will understand what receiving his grace means. So let's just begin by looking at that additional comment in verse 16. And uh, it starts with John saying, for of his fullness. And of course, when he says for, he's giving us a reason. Now, you've, you've got to remember that we kind of have to take the parenthesis out here. So it, it'll help us a little bit if we, um, if we go to verse 14. And in verse 14, we read, that um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory and that glory is full of grace and truth. How do we know? How do we know that that glory is full of grace and truth? How do we know that verse 14 is true? How do we know that it's true that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? How do we know for sure that we've seen His glory? How do we know that that glory is a manifestation of the unfailing love of God? That's what John is explaining here when he says, For, this is how we can know that verse 14 is true. Now, as we're going to see, we can't see it right now because we're not there in the text yet. But as we're going to see, the answer to this, the reason we know, is experiential. The reason we know is not because of something we read in a book. The reason we know is because of what we have experienced. More on that in a moment. So when he says for, he's explaining to us how we know verse 14 is true. And he says of his fullness. You see, that's the link back to verse 14. 14 says the glory is full of grace and truth. And now John says of that fullness, the Christ is the fullness of God's utterly reliable 
love. From the fullness of God's utterly reliable love that is found in Jesus Christ, John says, we have all received. From his fullness, the fullness of that grace and truth that is found in Christ, we have received. You see, he says we. He's not talking about someone else now. In these two verses, John wants to make everything that he has said to us in the first 15 verses ever so personal. We. And that we, no doubt, first and foremost, meant John and all of his associates who actually with their own eyes saw the Messiah, saw the Christ, saw the Word, saw the glory. But as John develops his gospel, that we includes others. Others who had never personally seen the Christ, but had nonetheless believed. See, when we get to the end of John's gospel, John says in chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to them, have you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, that includes us. When, when, when John says we, for of his fullness, we, We're in that we. You see how personal this is. Now he's presuming that we remember everything that he told us about the word and about the light and about the life and about the witness. But now he's saying we have to appropriate that ourselves, personally, experientially. It includes us. We have received. You see, how do you know that verse 14 is true. John says, the way you know verse 14 is true is because you have experienced it. You have received that fullness of divine glory that is in Christ. From that fullness, you have received. Because we have experienced a portion of that grace and truth ourselves, we know. Now, I, I, I know that this is not the typical Reformed and Presbyterian answer to the question, how do we know verse 14 is true? The typical answer that we would give as Reformed and Presbyterian pi, uh, types is because the Bible tells us it's true. And because the Bible tells us it's true, we know it's true. It's what the Bible says. It's not based on our experience. That is true. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Our faith is not ultimately rooted in our experience. Our faith is rooted in the revelation of God in His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And yet, one thing that the Word of God tells us is, one of the ways we know is because we have experienced it. So we ought not to pit knowing based on the Bible and knowing based on our experience against one another. What God has joined together here in this text, let us not separate. Uh, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Uh, I, I love that hymn. Uh, to me, that's like an old hymn. That's a, a hymn that I grew up with. 
And uh, I didn't grow up in a Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, but I grew up with that hymn. There's another hymn that I grew up with, uh, but you're not going to find this one in the Trinity hymnal. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I have experienced it. And we confess that in that prayer when we prayed to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in our hearts so that we don't simply have an awareness of what the Bible says. Foundational. But we have experienced it. That's what John says is one of the dimensions to how we know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that he was a manifestation of the glory of God, full of grace and truth. How do we know that? For from the fullness of that grace and truth, we have all received. We've experienced it. And since we've experienced it, it can't be gainsaid. I, I, I know. I know he lives because he lives within my heart. And and what have we received? John says in a rather odd way in the Greek text, we have received grace upon grace. Kind of a strange, you would never say that. It's it's just not part of the way we speak English. That, That word upon, I think means in place of. We get this in, in Paul and in Peter. Don't return evil upon evil. Don't return evil in place of evil. That's the kind of sense that this has. Grace in place of grace. We have received not just grace, but grace in place of grace. As one commentator says, this speaks of God giving us one blessing after another. As one uh, Greek grammar says, Greek dictionary, this speaks of God's favor coming to us in ever new streams. Not just grace, but grace in place of grace, grace upon grace, one blessing after another, or as that saying goes, there's always more where that came from. That's what John is saying to us when he's explaining a little bit more, commenting a little bit more on verse 14 and how we know that it's true. And then in verse 17, he makes one more explanatory Uh, explanatory comment. Uh, And in that verse, you'll know that he says, for, see, he's explaining again. He says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, unlike the tradition that I grew up with, that tended to pit against each other, the law, boo, 
Grace, yay. That's not what John is doing here. This is not a negative, positive contrast. Boo, law, and Old Testament. Yea, grace, and New Testament. Because the law, in general, is good, and the Apostle Paul tells us that. Uh, Romans 7.12, So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So no boo law, as if it's a bad guy. Romans 7.16, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Yay, law. Or 1 Timothy 1.8, but we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully. If you use the law as the basis upon which you expect God to accept you into his presence, boo law. That is not using the law as God intended. But if you, if you see the law as convicting you of sin and, of dry, and as driving you to Christ for forgiveness and then showing you a way to live a life of gratitude because of the grace of the gospel, yea, law. You see, the law in general is good, but in particular, the law is a revelation of grace and truth. That grace and truth that is manifest in the glory of the word. That grace and truth in Christ. Remember from the last time I preached, we looked at Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in Loving kindness and truth. That's our Old Testament pair that lies behind the New Testament, grace and truth. See, the law is a revelation of the grace and truth of God. It's a revelation of God's unfailing love. So if this is not a negative, positive contrast, what kind of contrast is it? Because it is a contrast. The law came through Moses. We could put in the word, but... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's not a contrast between boo law and yea, grace and truth. It's a contrast between given through Moses and came through Jesus Christ. Given through Moses. The law was a gift. Gifts are good, yes? The law was a gift. It was a good gift from God. A good gift through a great man, Moses. Uh, John will tell us later in chapter 1 that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law wrote. Jesus. Moses was a great man. He was a good man. But he was a man like the witness. He wasn't the end. He was a witness to something, to someone that was coming many years down the pike. He pointed to another. John 7, 19. Did not Moses give you the law, says Jesus? And yet, none of you carries out the law. See, they were not using the law lawfully. They were not using the law as God intended to convict of sin and to drive to the grace of God. 
So the law was given as a wonderful gift through Moses. Ah, but that was not the end. The law came through Jesus Christ. There's our word come again. Remember, we, in, in John's been very careful to distinguish was. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God from things that came into being. And finally, he says, the word came, became flesh. And now he's using that word again to speak of Jesus and the fact that the unfailing love of God came through Jesus Christ. Uh, the, NI, the NASB, which we don't think like as a very dynamic equivalent translation, notice it doesn't use the word came. It uses the word realized. It's trying to capture the sense The grace and the truth that was given through Moses came into realization through Jesus Christ. And now we can really understand better, I think, the end of verse 16, grace in place of grace. The first grace in that phrase, grace in place of grace, that's the grace of God given in the old covenant through Moses. Good, wonderful, revealing God as slow to anger, abounding in compassion, full of unfailing love. That's the, that, that was the first grace, the grace given through Moses. Oh, but there's a better grace. There's a fuller grace. There's a richer grace. That's the grace that actually came into realization through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see... Moses talked about grace and truth. Jesus is that grace and truth. That's the contrast. The wonderful grace of God in the Old Covenant, but only talked about, not in flesh and blood, that grace comes to realization in the person and work of Jesus. And isn't it amazing that in this very personal two verses, we have for the first time the mention of his name. You see, John has been talking about the word, about the light, about the life, about the word becoming flesh and the fact that we've seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten, but we still have no clue who that word is. Is it John the Baptist? We don't know. But now in this verse, for the first time, he tells us who the human being is that is at the same time very God of very God, the word made flesh. He says it is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Christ. And that brings us then in conclusion to the last verse of this wonderful text. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. Do you want to know God? That's where we started. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Because Jesus makes God known through his teaching, 
through his active obedience, keeping the law in our place, through his passive obedience, dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, through his resurrection from the dead. So just two concluding questions that come out of these two verses that focus on receiving his grace. And the first question is, have you received him? Not do you know about him. That's foundational. But have you, are you in that we? Can you include yourself and say, yes, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I know because the Bible tells me he is my savior and I know because I have tasted personally of the fullness of that grace. Have you received him? And the second question is, do you receive him? See, because this matter of receiving his grace and receiving him is not one and done. Yes, there is that initial reception, but then there's that ongoing reception as well, which brings us right to the table. You see, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. What is the Lord's Supper? And the answer, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal and carnal manner, but by faith made partakers of his body and blood with all its benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. You see, when you, when you, receive, when you receive the bread and the cup, this isn't just a symbol pointing you out there to something that Jesus did for you. It is that. But it's more than that. What's that word? Partaker. When you receive, you are experiencing, you are partaking of his body and his blood. Not in a corporal, not in a physical way, but truly and spiritually for the nourishment of your souls. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 29, paragraph 7, makes it a little more clear when, he, when it says, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly, by faith, spiritually, listen, receive and feed upon. Christ crucified. So it's not just a matter of, yes, I remember the time and day. Some of you may remember the time and day when you received Christ initially. I do. I can picture it in my mind's eye as if it were yesterday. I sure am glad you don't have a picture of me on that day. You wouldn't recognize me. But at any rate, 
I remember. I can see it so clear. That's one question. The other question is, are you continuing to receive him? Because you need a continual connection with that grace of God that is found in Christ. And of course, it comes to us in many ways. But in one way, preeminently, we receive him when we receive into our hands and into our mouths the bread and the cup. Well, let me just read to you a text. That text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's not one and done. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And your proclaiming of the Lord's death is not in some kind of abstract way. You're talking about it to someone else. You are proclaiming it and you are saying, this is the death that I need for my salvation. This is my reception once again of Christ crucified for me that I might stay tapped in to that unfailing love that God has not only planned for me, but he realized it in flesh and blood. Moses talked about it. Jesus brought it. Come now and feast in your hearts by faith. Receive the Christ, the Messiah, the Word made flesh, your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for this part of your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for these 18 verses in John, uh, which are so profound. Uh, And yet you have given us the ability to at least understand them in some small way. And for that, we are ever so grateful. And thank you that these verses uh, in the word bring us to the table where we can experience in a new way your grace and your truth that has been realized in Jesus Christ. So grant us faith to truly, spiritually receive our Savior his body, his blood for us. And for this, we will give you thanks now and forevermore. Amen.